really what is less economic pie to go round really mean for people really means their living standards start to drop and you could summarize that by longer wait times at the doctor uh the doctor not wanting to bog bill because uh the cost of basically their business model doesn't now link to medicare you've got less economic pie to go round Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker. We're going to dig into economics. We're going to have the recession conversation. We're going to talk about Australia's per capita recession and what it means for you as a property investor and what can we actually deduce from understanding there is a recession per person in Australia. Wow. What a conversation. And of course, today's show has come through by request. Yes, uh, one of our avid listeners, part of the Urban in Property Investor community, Shoal, has reached out and said, could you do a bit of a show on understanding the current per capita economic recession? What does it mean? What does it mean for property investors? What does it mean for life in general? So, hey, uh, I will do today's show. I don't want to be accused of not doing the tough shows. And of course, there's nothing tougher than doing a show when the big R is involved, recession. But uh, certainly, we're going to learn a lot about really the concept of the idea of a per capita recession today. And of course, if you've got ideas for a show, text me. Send me a message. I'll do a show. There's really not too many things I can't talk about when it comes to real estate. Now, if I don't know the answer, I'll probably know someone who does. So please send over any suggestions for the program. I just got another one this morning from Pratesh. Uh, and of course, I'll uh, I'll do that one for you, Pratesh. We'll uh, do that in uh, a few episodes time. We'll come back to that. So feel free to message me, private message me. I'm on Facebook. Hey, uh, welcome back, regulars. I hope your urban world is doing well. And of course, if it's your first time tuning into the show, well, you've come to the right place because all we do here is talk about real estate. So a uh, few rules, play the program in double speed. Uh, as we say here, play the program in double speed. Get your life back. Don't waste it uh, playing me in normal speed. I don't sound like a chipmunk. Today, though, we do want to have a bit of a conversation about whether property investment will become harder or easier. And of course, will we get a free ride off the back of Australia performing and growing and being one of the best economies in the world? It's probably fair to say the past is definitely the past and the future is, of course, a different landscape. And here in Australia, many people have been gifted property success, not from necessarily doing anything other than existing within the Australian growing economy. 
if you think of the drivers of the past 30 years, a lot of it has linked to Australia's resource-rich economy, uh, the ability to link to a second world economy like China growing rapidly, and of course, riding that boom for wealth. And of course, a lot of that emerging economies around the world, then linking to first world economies has driven a result economically in what people earn for a living, what their wages are today, and how and what property values are. We've seen over the last 30 years, low interest rates, we've seen deflation inside of the cost of money, particularly over the last 20 years. Money has been virtually cheap. And of course, we've seen Australia develop a population plan to sprawl its big cities, to bring more and more people into the country. And so it's fair to say we've had a fairly prosperous time of it. And of course, if you think about being a successful property investor, a lot of that success has not necessarily been driven by the property investor. It's been driven off a free ride of Australia experiencing a wealth effect outcome. And of course, we are starting to see a different Australia unfold and probably it can be summarised by what we're experiencing right now today, which is a per capita recession. Really, a per capita recession is not an economic recession. It is just a simple formula that the average person is going backwards. A per capita recession is that we are now in economic decline individually, not as a nation, whereas a recession is really a country going backwards in growth a per person or per capita recession is individuals inside of the economic pie are going backwards. And of course, uh, really, if you look at how Australia has evolved over the years, we as people inside of Australia have generally prospered off the back of, again, just a really robust, high-growing country. And of course, uh, things are changing and we see this on the news nightly that uh, there is a have and have not society unfolding. There is different economic classes forming. And of course, uh, the concept of a per capita basis economic downturn is really there is a decline in the average person's living standards. And of course, a lot of this has to do with Australia creates a lot of migration, more people come to Australia, and if the economic growth of Australia doesn't match the input of more people coming to the country, then there's fundamentally a higher uh, population less economic production, and so as a total population per person, we are fundamentally 
going backwards. And so really what does less economic pie to go round really mean for people? Really means their living standards start to drop. And you could summarize that by longer wait times at the doctor, uh, the doctor not wanting to bulk bill because uh, the cost of basically their business model doesn't now link to Medicare. You've got less economic pie to go around. You'll start to see things like less ability for government to fix problems. Maybe the pothole on the road takes longer to get fixed. So when there's an economic per capita recession, it really is the concept that there's just less money to go around that basically helps everyone live at a higher standard. And of course, you know, we're starting to see even strange things unfold whereby the government, uh, you know, is taxing higher for people, for, you know, non-for-profit businesses that have businesses on Crown land. And, uh, you know, I saw an article last month which was like bowling clubs uh, are actually getting their rent put up because most bowling clubs are on Crown land. And obviously bowling clubs created community service to particularly uh, older Australians. They get, give them somewhere to go every day, have a, have a schnitzel, have a beer, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they've been on some, you know, fairly minimal levels of rent. The rent's tripling. The government's putting the rent up on these basically non-for-profit businesses that use and occupy Crown land. Why? Because there's just less economic money going around the system for the population. So government looks to find revenue through even higher taxes. And of course, the government carries a lot more debt than it did pre-COVID and a large proportion of our taxes now go to debt repayments and interest costs on really uh, some of the debt that both state and also federal government has. So there is the concept that really where economic growth can occur, but per person we start to feel the pinch. It's really the conversation around a per capita recession. And of course, in general, I think it's a good lesson because it's going to get harder for people to move forward just relying on Australia doing the heavy lifting. And uh, I've been blessed. I've made a lot of money out of real estate. I've made a lot of money over the last three decades in real estate. And over the last three decades, Australia has really done the lion's share of the work for me. I can say I'm a legend as a property investor, but really if we wanted to put our finger on what has unfolded, it is the concept of free riding. I've taken a free ride off Australia's robust business plan. Its business plan has been uh, big mining 
Its business plan has been big population uh, and it has been linking its trade to emerging economies such as China expanding at a rapid rate, needing all of that iron ore to uh, basically build itself from a rice paddy to one of the most modern countries in the world. And of course, we've experienced the result of that through higher wages and larger house prices, which of course, if you bought house prices at a much lower rate, you would see the benefit of them now being worth more. So in general, the future is going to be different and it's going to be a lot harder for people as there's less economic pie to be shared amongst us all. And so if Australia can't do the heavy lifting, you're going to have to do more of the heavy lifting. And really, the best way to get yourself ahead is going to be through investment. The idea that you can, in a capitalist country, also invest to speed up your position in life. And of course, Australia economically is changing. The intergenerational report has come out and really forces that are I guess, shaping the Australian economy are very different to the last 30 years. Again, the last 30 years, it's been wonderful for for everyone involved in real estate. I do think the next 30 years, real estate will be successful. But again, there's going to be some nuances to how it all works and why the next phase of property investment you're going to have to do a little bit more of the heavy lifting because Australia's economy is not going to be as good as it has been over the last 30 years. So interesting enough, we've got an aging population here in Australia. And of course, when your population is aging, more people leave the workforce. And of course, uh, this can have a productivity loss situation tied to it and of course when people leave the workforce in general if there's no one at the bottom they're going to get paid more because there's less people fighting for jobs so what Australia does quite well is go and look for people from other countries to live here that already carry a skill that can slot straight into the workforce. So forces are changing here in Australia. We've got an aging population, obviously at a global level, digital and data technology changes are changing the way work is done. We've got climate change and a policy around net zero transformation, which again is going to create a whole bunch of different parameters to live. Uh, The last 30 years, there really hasn't been much emphasis put on net zero transformation. The next 30 years, there will be. And of course, again, all of that's going to come at a way to live in society. Net zero transformation 
for example, will mean certain things won't be able to be uh, built through certain energy systems, um, extra costs will needed to be laid on to retrofit sustainability. And of course, all of that comes at a cost which is often linked to inflation. And again, I think really the new world of inflation in my viewpoint, given we know that we've got a population aging, we're now very digital and technology focused, which is in theory going to uh, change the market landscape and we've got sort of net zero economics, we will probably have an inflation rate per annum of around 4%. And of course, I think that means you need to increase your wealth by a minimum of 4% or you're falling behind. And again, for most people, they're not increasing their wealth by 4%. So they're effectively going downhill and because they're going downhill per capita, where people are going backwards. Per person, people are going backwards. And so for us as human beings, this is a great piece of information that right now people are going backwards, yet some people, a small group of people, are going forwards. And so you've got to make a choice. Do you want to... Uh, follow the system and be sent backwards or do you want to beat the system and go forwards? It's really up to you. As I sort of alluded to, Australia did some heavy lifting over the last 30 years. It's probably going to be up to you and me to do our part over the next 30 years. So certainly if you take the intergenerational report as gospel, the projected economy size will be two and a half times what it is today in 30, 40 years time. Uh, so things, the economy is going to grow. Real incomes will be around 50% higher in 40 years time today. So you could add another, uh, you know, $100,000 wage. It's going to be $150,000 wage in 40 years time. And of course, Again, probably for most people, they could do with that $50,000 today, not in 40 years' time. This is the, the paradox of the conversation. The projected economic growth rate uh, is suggested to be uh, a little bit slower than past decades into the next decade. So Australia is going to grow a little bit slower than what it has in the past. And of course, all of this relates to how we live. If there's less economic growth, there's probably less uh, economic development. And so this, again, just comes back to simple stuff like waiting for the doctor. You're in the waiting room, not with 10 people. You're in the waiting room with 20 people. And of course, it changes the way we produce all of a sudden because you're waiting longer, you're not working, so there's less output and it creates this kind of, I guess, spiral effect where there's a lack of productivity and we'll talk about uh, that conversation. Now, in economics, there are some principles that people can innovate, companies can innovate, 
companies can produce and government can be part of the puzzle. And obviously, that leads to the three Ps, population, productivity, and participation. This is how we measure economic output, often referred to as GDP. Now, Australia has a population base which is expected to live a lot longer and uh, actually spend more years on Earth. And so we are going to have to deal with an aging population and people living a lot longer who are not going to be part of the workforce. And so the population growth here in Australia is, is still set to be very, very high compared to the rest of the world. And so depending on who you listen to, the population is projected to reach over 40 million people by either mid-century, being 2050, or 2060, depending on uh, the, I guess, uh, push and pull effect of the economy. Either way, it's going to be a lot more people than what it is today. And of course, this is going to mean we're going to need a new Sydney, a new Melbourne and a new Brisbane put into our system in the next 30 years, which is mind-blowing. The fact that really today we're at 26 million people and in the next 30, 35, 40 years, we're going to need another 14 million people. It's quite an amazing plan. And so that, of course, is the plan of the economy. But as you bring in more migration, uh, you obviously add more people to the overall pie. And if the pie doesn't increase, then you obviously get less pie to go around. And so this is the conversation. Today, we're in a per capita recession by population there's just less pie to go around people are going backwards and so with an aging population obviously you're going to have an effect and uh, really I'm very mindful of what is known as the IKEA effect and I've probably spoken about this before if you go to Japan if you go to China uh, particularly Japan, the direct translation for the IKEA effect is empty house. You've got a very, very, very aging population over there, and particularly in rural areas, no one wants to live, and you've just got all these empty houses, half a million empty houses, you know, as part of the market landscape. And of course, for me, I know Australia's population is also aging and there are some volatile, small, sleepy towns and really small regional communities where property values are cheap today, but they'll probably be worthless tomorrow because no one will want to live there. And again, we just need to be very, very mindful that the idea of population is morphing in Australia and we have an age pyramid which is inverted. Now, if you think of 
a pyramid, if you had more people at the bottom of the pyramid that were workers and less people at the top of the pyramid that were old, you'd have the perfect economy. You flip the pyramid upside down, you've got basically too many old people at the top, not enough young people at the bottom. You've got an aging population base. And of course, this starts to affect productivity and you start to also see a different participation rate. Participation is obviously the amount of workers in your economy working for a better future. And uh, today we have record high labor force participation and a per capita recession, which is incredible to think. But actually, over time, there's going to be a gradual decline in the overall participation rate from what is suggested today to be 67% to, in the many decades ahead, around 63%. Sounds like a small drop, but obviously, it's a big, big participation change in our workforce. Now, the argument is... Well, if there's less people working, people are going to get paid more uh, is one of the the benefits of that. And again, the per capita recession, what it's alluding to is we probably don't need that uh, $50,000, 50% wage increase 40 years from now. We kind of need it already. And so from a productivity point of view, Uh, we're going to start to question, you know, obviously, is Australia producing enough for its uh, citizens? And when a country doesn't produce enough, there's obviously spending pressures that are connected to health services, aged care, defence, national disability, Uh, and obviously even debt repayments. And again, Australia is very, very lucky that we're not a country spiralling out of control. And you could go to, for example, Argentina, and everything I've talked about already just got completely out of control to the point where today... uh, There is actually no point in someone investing in tomorrow because uh, effectively you might as well spend the money today because it's going to be worthless tomorrow. And so you have a completely different set of rules in, you know, some of these countries which are, are just fundamentally economically broken. Australia will never get to that point. So as I discuss this, don't sort of go into a mode of completely freaking out. We are just talking about some structural changes inside of our economy that again is just going to mean that you as a human being need to take your wealth creation into your own hands rather than just rely on a great uh, outcome coming from Australia economically. And uh, I still think Australia will do very well economically. It will be a top 20 economic country. But certainly, uh, the free ride needs to be uh, rethought. 
and I think you'll get a moderate free ride, but a lot of the investment needs to come from you. And of course, uh, if we look at a country whose productivity has been dropping and the standard of living going backwards for a while now, which is also an OECD country which has a similar model to Australia, well, you could go to Canada. Canada is in inverted commas, quiet decline. And again, if you looked at the living standards and the GDP per person in Canada in 1981, it was like the fifth best in the world. Uh, Ever since then, it's just been going backwards very quietly. And again, you're just getting this inequality creep into the model, you know, and uh, really, you know, the, the, the low productivity of Canada is a threat to the Canadian living standard. And uh, really, we can learn a lot from the Canadian model. We're a similar market and really one could argue Canada's productivity issue is connected to the concept that housing is the theory of everything. And really, one could argue that there was just too much money going into Canada's property market, whereby the cost to buy a property was too too expensive that it really created some domino effects from a decline in fertility to income inequality to sluggish company productivity and really a general economic slowdown and a basically decline in living standards. Crazy to think, right, that the fact that too much money goes into buying a property that there's not enough money in people's back pockets. Therefore, those people can't spend on uh, services and goods. Therefore, a company can't actually expand and a company can't reinvest in its own growth, better trucks, better robots, better innovation. And so you get this kind of productivity doom loop unfolding. And so it is argued in Canada that the high cost of properties, which are very similar to the cost here in Australia, has actually ended up creating uh, economic decline per person. Really, I would argue the same thing here, that the property values here in Australia have created basically two worlds. Uh, those that have real estate and those that don't. And of course, those that have real estate are much better economically off than those that do not have uh, real estate. And of course, even if we look at the rate of growth of real estate over the last 30 years, it is has outperformed wages. Like you would have made more money buying real estate than going to work over the last 30 years here in Australia. 
And so the Canada effect is really the effect that now because of housing, there is low reinvestment from companies into themselves. Uh, There's limited R&D spending, low innovation, a lack of basically dispersed markets growing. And so there is really just a model of market maintenance rather than market growth. And of course, that's not what you want to see economically because, again, you get this shrinking uh, in uh, per-person problem unfolding and therefore there's just less money to go around, less wage growth, uh, the you know you wait at the doctor longer and it all starts to unfold in a different way and interesting in Canada they've had to change how long a normal mortgage is so here in Australia we have mortgages you know you borrow money from the bank it could be a 25 or 30 year mortgage In Canada now, you can get a 40-year mortgage. The amortization rate has changed. The idea now in Canada is you're not going to change the cost of what real estate is worth. All you can do is change the economic principle of how much is paid back to housing per month by spreading out a mortgage not over 25 years but over 40 years. 40 years. And so what that will do is free up money in people's back pocket to then have extra money to in spend on goods and services, which are basically the uh, spend of money into a company. That company will then be able to create more money, reinvest in itself, reinvest in innovation, upgrade its Uh, trucks, retool its factories, uh, innovate and speed up its productivity rate. And again, productivity is just like saying, well, there's a farmer with a, a, you know, a shovel and rake or there's a farmer with a tractor. You know, which one do you want to plough the field to get a better economic result? You obviously want the farmer with the tractor because that's going to produce more faster and allow that uh, farmer to, you know, produce more somewhere else. So again, all of these things are part of the puzzle of change and we are going to go through a changing industrial base here in Australia. The adoption of new technologies, digitalization. We're going to go through changing industrial base around net zero transformation and really uh, some opportunities that connect to that. It could be things like Australia's got a lot of lithium. Uh, We're going to go through climate change impacts where people live, where people can't live, how food is working, how energy security works. And again, I'm open about how I invest. I invest basically in real estate, food and energy because I think it's going to be a big, big 
changing industrial base for all nations on earth. Uh, and if you've got a piece of that, you've got a piece of really the future. And of course, uh, a big changing industrial base will be healthcare, shift towards uh a potential doubling of how many health workers we need in the country to care for and support an aging population. That's why I do a lot of investment around hospitals and, uh, and the like, because I know it's a growing industrial base. And uh, the, the reality is, you know, when there is a lack of, uh, I guess, per person growth and you go into a per capita decline uh, and a productivity decline, you start to get the self-organization, a principle of capitalism whereby monopolization unfolds. And of course, this is what we often see today, whereby really the biggest uh, biggest companies in the world have a direct impact on the world. Uh, Apple makes more money than Australia. Uh, Google and Apple combined have more domestic uh, produce, uh, GDP, than India. Uh, it's So you start to get the major corporation effect and uh, you'll start to see this, I think, in Australian economics where perhaps we won't be borrowing money from a bank will be borrowing money from Apple. Perhaps we won't be buying a house off uh, a local 50-year-old home builder that's struggling along. We'll be buying it off uh, Mitsubishi. We'll be buying it off uh, Google. So really there is this concept that if you – struggle to have innovation in your economy, the major innovators of the world will organize themselves to take over innovation. And uh, really, could we see one day that we buy a house off a car company, borrow money off a a IT company and, um, uh, and do it that way? Very probable, very probable. And I think in some respects, they are probably very equipped to go with a net zero world. A Tesla house is probably more equipped to go down that space. And again, uh, if you want to see a version of what I'm talking about, you could Google Woven City, Toyota, are basically creating a city. Toyota, yes. A Toyota uh, Camry, a Toyota Hilux. And now we have Toyota Woven City. It's a city in Japan. Check it out. So again, like these are all the uh, dimensions around a per capita uh, decline. And again, like conspiracy theorists will have a field day on that stuff, I guarantee you. But this is really economically where we have to realize 
we are on our own. And uh, I like those odds. I like the fact that I'm in charge of my own wealth. I like the fact that Australia has a business plan by mid-century to still populate to 2050 or 2060 to populate to 40 million people. This is some good signals for our economy. But the challenge is it's just going to get harder. And when things get harder, more people fall behind. And so when you see things like a per capita recession, it means the average person is simply falling behind. Do you feel like you're falling behind? If you do, you need to probably do something about that. Do I feel like I'm falling behind? No, I do not. Uh, That is the nature of any marketplace. And again, if you are starting to question what does this all mean, then you've got to start to put yourself in a position and go, hang on a minute, it's going to get harder for people. How do I make it easier for myself? It's a pretty, pretty important question. So we know really from the intergenerational report, which takes a fairly long-term lens as to what the future is. And some people argue like that's just nonsense. Most uh, political people wouldn't know what's happening next week, let alone 40 years from now, which is a fair argument. Uh, Let's face it, um, you know, we've got to a point where we've got to, not from vision, but from really a space of just you know, work it out as it comes. Uh, So we have to, I guess, take some of this stuff with a little bit of a grain of salt. But if you were to ask me what the four big drivers of the next 30 years are, I would answer you with really a few contexts when it comes to real estate. The first is the intergenerational wealth transfer. Second is inequality. The third is how we navigate the dwelling count. And the fourth is ale and pie. And I want to explain them to you. Obviously, structurally, real estate markets grow when there's a structural shift. We've seen that before. In the 1970s, we went from single income households to double income households. Real estate went on to double in value. We saw the deregulation of banking in the 90s uh, where it was impossible to borrow money, then it became very easy. We saw real estate double. Uh, We saw the mining boom take wages and double wages overnight. Over one to two years, we saw real estate double. Really, the 2030s will be the intergenerational wealth transfer. I've talked about this before. A $6.2 trillion transfer of wealth to be unleashed from the aging population to a younger cohort. Uh, Obviously, if you got a million dollars handed to you uh, from inheritance, you're probably going to either pay off your home or buy a home. It's pretty much the two models that will unfold. And the government realizes this, that really there is trillions of dollars to change hands. 
And even recently, we saw some media articles around imposing an, an inheritance tax, where in Australia, we currently do not have one. So the government's all over this. They know that this money is going to be massive for uh, for them if they can get a piece of it. If they don't, they're basically going to sit out of one of the biggest wealth creators for people in society unfolding out there. The challenge, of course, is intergenerationally, a lot of Australians are new Australians. They don't have uh, parents or grandparents with houses that were bought for a can of Coke that today are in the millions where there will be a transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. And of course, uh, a lot of Australians are you know, today pensioners themselves and have never built wealth out of real estate and generationally speaking, can pass on very little to the next cohort of their lineage. And so again, even when we look at the $6.2 trillion uh, transformation, uh, a lot of it is connected to really the concept of the have and have not world, i.e. the haves will end up with more of the intergenerational wealth transfer transfer, than the have-nots. And again, this is something that I've been talking about for a long time. Inequality is making the ability for the bottom end of the market tougher. And I teach this a lot in real estate. The 40-30 rule, 40% of society struggles to keep up with the cost of living and spends over 30% of their income on shelter. And of course, they are now a unproductive part of the mechanism. And if we look at the per capita recession, i.e. the decline in uh, ourselves, 40% of people are now living in economic decline. And again, that's not good for overall productivity. So it is really starting to unfold. And so when I look at the big drivers of the next 30 years of how I'm going to make money out of real estate, how you're going to make money out of real estate if you invest, the first one is the intergenerational report. The fact that there is a lot of money going to be changing hands and if we can line up our investments as to where that intergenerational wealth transfer will unfold, we may just find that the real estate market will bounce structurally off the back of that. I think anyone who owns real estate will be a winner off the back of that intergenerational wealth transfer. It's just too much money coming into the system to not impact property values. Obviously, inequality is real. 20 years ago, in say 2001, 30, uh, sorry, uh, 40% of Australians had paid off their home. Today, that's 31%. 20 years ago, 27% of Australians had a mortgage. 
Today, that's 35%. Uh, 20 years ago, 27% of Australians basically rented. Today, that's 31%. Now, inequality is going to make you money. Uh, and it's, it's kind of perverted in a way that actually, in some respects, as more people fall behind, the better off you're going to be as a property investor because there's going to be a shrinking marketplace where there is basically less people uh, becoming uh, homeowners. There's less people becoming uh, basically uh, part of the market. And so you'll start to get this redistribution of capitalism where your rents become more attractive because most of society becomes tenants. And so when I look at the opportunities, inequality is a massive opportunity. And I also look at it and break it down to go, well, if I can find out where the high, high better income proportion of society prefers to live, then I know that they're going to be able to pay more rent. And if they're not going to opt into becoming home buyers, then my rent should double on my asset and I'll end up positive cash flow. So uh, again, I'll probably get hate from this episode because what I'm suggesting is actually inequality is going to make you wealthy if you're on the other side of the inequality divide, which obviously, you know, is socially probably taboo, but it's the truth. And so the four big drivers, intergenerational wealth transfer, inequality, uh, the dwelling count. The dwelling count is the third driver. <clears throat> now, by mid-century, we're going to need an extra 5.4 million new homes to house around 13-odd million people. Today, to be specific, there are 10.8 million dwellings. We need to create another 5.4 million dwellings, the dwelling count. Now, the dwelling count is an interesting concept because the general principle of scarcity is linked to real estate. If we know there's 5 million more properties to come and we buy the right piece of real estate today, then we can conclude that if we own a piece of scarcity, something that is in the right suburb, the right place, if we use the Forex growth plan, we buy well, right market, right location, and something that adds value to the real estate, like a, a view or a nice piece of land or being next to a park or having a lot of green space as part of our offering, the general principle of scarcity will unfold. And the fact that Australia needs to house its future population, and we know that if we were to buy, for example, in Brisbane today or Melbourne today, we're already ahead of a million people that will come 
over the next decade, we're going to put ourselves in a position to succeed. And again, if I go back to really the drivers into generational wealth, we know there's going to be a boom somewhere in the mid-30s. We know that. By way of example, the COVID boom was a trillion-dollar transformation of money from government to uh, basically the public through uh, quantitative easing and stimmies. The wealth transformation is $6.2 trillion coming in the 2030s. So basically a huge amount. So it should make a massive boom. You want to be part of it, then you've got the inequality divide. You want to be on the right side of that. Then you've got the dwelling divide. Okay, so start at the top. There's money coming. Inequality is real. We want to be on the right side of inequality. Then we've got the dwelling divide. And I've just broken my microphone. Hopefully you guys are there. Uh, then we've got the dwelling divide. We want to be on the right side of the dwelling count. In other words, where the better real estate is, the better spots, the better location. We're going to start to get the result from real estate. And the final driver is what I refer to as ale and pie. Ale and pie, yes. Uh, pie we know, right? I've always talked to you about pie. Population, infrastructure, and employment gives us a free ride. It's a free ride. That's that's really what a lot of people have made money out of over the last 30 years. Uh, we will still make money out of pie. We will still make money out of pie, for sure. Will we make as much because Australia is going to be a better place? We won't. Will we... Uh, be able to get some of our wealth through pie, we will. So we've got to go and do it ourselves. And this is where ale comes into affordability, livability, and employability. Ale, ale. So ale is really something I'm working towards. It's probably the first time you've ever heard ale. I've never talked about ale. And I've done some real diagnosis on this topic that the average person is going backwards. How do I invest moving forwards? I'm going to use ale. Where are the affordable, livable areas to invest that are surrounded by employment? Ale. Uh, I think it could be a word that takes off. No one's ever used it before, but I'm using it for the first time. Ale and pie. Uh, which, by the way, I love. I love sinking a ale and having a pie. In fact, if I go to the pub, I regularly have ale and pie. So you'll never forget ale and pie. Affordability, livability, and employability connected with population, infrastructure, and employment. Ale and pie. So we want a property where, as an investor, we have to deal with affordability. There's nothing we can do because of what the banks will lend us. Livability is those little pieces of the puzzle that really make real estate stand out from the crowd. People will pay more to live in a nicer place, livability. And employability today really is connected to the idea that people might even work from home or uh, 
Today, really most of the workforce is hybrid. So employability is the real estate which offers the spare room, which has great local uh, coffee shops to go and work from, has the park nearby because you're working a little bit from home. But employability is also the idea that you're not too far away from the office. You're still within reach of those employment zone clusters. And cities have different employment zones. The CBD, they'll have uh, areas of employment importance, the hospital, the university territory, of ale. Then we want pie. Where is the population going to grow, these 13 million people? Uh, there's going to be an infrastructure uh concept around that and the economy is going to grow off the back of it ale and pie affordability livability employability population infrastructure and economics which is really con connected to the jobs so i'm going to invest in that i don't know what you're going to be doing that but that's how i'm going to approach the next 30 years why am i going to approach it like that because of really the idea that most people are going backwards. And that is why uh, we today even have a per capita economic recession. And hopefully, Shoal, that was a long way to answer your question about the concept. Uh, do I see that real estate will, uh, you know, potentially cause a theory of everything moment like it did in Canada, I do think it could be a thing. Do I think banks will come up with a 40-year home loan in Australia? I'm on record with saying I think that's really a possibility. That really if you want uh, more production, you've got to lower the cost of real estate. You can't lower the cost of real estate by virtue of what it costs to produce you can only lower the cost to repay real estate. And uh, how do you do that? You spread out the loan term over a longer period of time. All right, folks, that's it for me. Uh, take care. We'll talk again soon uh, on the show. All right. Uru. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.